Well, tonight we move on uh, to this third phase, which I've called the methods of discipling. And maybe it'll be helpful for us. In fact, maybe it's even important for us uh, to just catch up a little bit on where we've been so far in these first couple of lessons. So remember, what we're talking about right now is what it means to be a discipling church. And we're working off of a set of definitions that I think are important for us to understand and be on the same page about. Um, And really, we're answering three basic questions in these lessons. Is it really necessary that we be concerned about discipling? Of course, we answered that with the first lesson, the mandate. Um, The next question was, who ultimately is responsible for it? And uh, then tonight, we'll look at what are some ways that we can actually be faithful to do it. And so that's kind of the... um, you know, the thread that we're following as far as our study is concerned, and it's, it's so hard to do that because there's so much we could talk about with this. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in our last lesson, when you look at the New Testament, it really is a handbook on discipling and on discipleship, uh, beginning with the Gospels and as they tell us about Jesus and about the Gospel itself, what he has done in making us disciples through his sacrifice on the cross, giving us life in the resurrection, through the resurrection, and then what he has made us as a people, those whom he has redeemed. Um, And then we move on from there into the book of Acts, and we actually see how this began, how these disciples became the church, how the gospel was then taken and spread across the known world at that time. And then we get into all of these epistles, all of these letters that um, function as discipleship manuals. Here's what it means to know God. Here's what it means to follow Christ. Here's what it means to live a life that is worthy of the calling that he has put on your life as we studied about in Ephesians chapter four. And so it's so hard to narrow it down into just a handful of studies. Uh, But, and I feel like we've almost been unfair in approaching it the way that I have, but we're just kind of doing this flyover, aren't we? And so here's the two definitions we're working off of. Discipleship, um, as we've talked about, is just simply following Christ. Um, that's, it's, it's me personally. I'm a disciple of Christ. You are a disciple of Christ. You follow Christ. Discipling then is, is really the verb usage of it. And that is how we are helping other people follow Christ. And we're looking at that in a lot of different ways tonight. But those are the important definitions that we're working off of so that we're all on the same same page. What is discipleship? It's following Christ. What is discipling? It's helping other people. That's exactly right, John Mosey, you got it. It's helping other people follow Jesus. And we do that in a million different ways. And so I know coming into a practical lesson on this, especially maybe that's why so few of us are here. It's not really that we're sick. It's just we're a little bit intimidated by this part. Uh, But it's like, how do I do this, right? How do we actually go about doing this? And even if you're convinced that you need to, it can be intimidating to think, okay, I'm going to commit to spending time with this particular person, or I'm going to be more engaged in talking about scriptural things. But then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't know how to do that. I'm not a counselor. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I'm afraid I'm actually going to mess people up maybe. Or what if they ask me questions that I really have no idea how to answer? Or what if, even worse, what if I answer them in the wrong way and send them on a path, you know, and then we start to work through all of that. And what, it, what ends up happening is that fear causes us to freeze. We end up not doing it at all. And so 
what I want to say right here on the outset is you, you don't have to be a professional counselor to be a discipler. Um, you don't have to know everything there is to know about the Bible to help other people follow Christ. You can be a brand new Christian and help other people follow Christ simply by talking about how you have come to understand the gospel and to believe in Jesus. And, and it grows from there. And the Lord does his work in these conversations that we have with, um, with people. So I, I don't want you to be intimidated by any of that. I don't know that any of you are, but um, hopefully as we go through tonight, we're going to see a lot of different ways uh, that we can be involved because, because there really are a million different ways we can do it. In fact, just today, you've probably done it without realizing you've done it. Think about the conversations you had this morning at church. Uh, whoever you sat with at church today, maybe even maybe a, a ninety-second conversation. If at some point in there, there was um, a statement about the Lord's goodness in your life, an encouragement about what the Lord is doing in your life, or asking about what the Lord is doing in their life, maybe it was. Uh, recalling something that stuck out to you in the in the sermon or in the scripture readings or or whatever it was that happened or in a song you never know you could just a simple conversation like that is discipling and you don't even realize all the time that that's what you're doing so what I'm trying to do in this in this whole series of lessons is move our mind away from thinking that discipling is when I sign up for this thing and then I designate this time to be with this person and we follow this program and that's a part of it, and, and we want to do those things. But that's not the whole of it. We disciple all the time, sitting around before and after church, in service. Think about the communion service. We'll do it next week. One of these days, I want to get back to passing the plates for that. And the reason we don't do it, it's not really COVID-related at this point. It's just I'm afraid somebody's going to drop one. <laughs> and it's really what it is. I'm afraid we're going to drop a plate, and it's going to be a big mess, and it's going to, it's, it's going to be a problem. So, But... Think about the picture of actually passing the plates in the communion service. In that sense, we are sharing the gospel with one another. This is, it's a picture of that. As we are passing the bread and the cup to one another, we are literally handing the gospel to one another, this symbol of the gospel. It's really quite amazing. That's a part of our discipleship. We'll talk about it a little bit tonight. The way we sing in a service, that's a part of discipling. We're, we're discipling people and showing them the passion that we have for what we sing. We're teaching truth in the process of doing those things. And so there, there's probably been a lot of ways you've done it today and not even realized you've done it. Parents especially, you know, we're, we're constantly, um, you know, trying to teach our kids and train our kids, maybe even in the disciplining process of um, your relationship to your kids. All of that, as long as it's, uh, when it's under the umbrella of the scriptures and it's infused by the truth of the Bible and by the work of the Spirit, that's discipling. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to venture into some of that um, tonight, okay? I'm not going to do an exposition tonight, uh, because of, mainly because I just couldn't decide on one passage. Uh, so instead of being expositional, we're going to be explorational, uh, essentially, is what we're going to do. We're going to be all over the place. So I hope you have your Bible, and we're going to turn to a lot of places. Um, if you prefer to use your phone, it may be faster. Totally up to you, whatever you want to do. Uh, but um, I've cheated because I've printed all of my references in my notes tonight. Uh, but I'll, I'll, give you, um, I'll give you plenty of time, okay? You know, listen to me, okay? All right. all right, let's first talk about the spheres of discipling, okay? If you're keeping notes or cataloging some of this as we go through. First thing I want to talk about is spheres of discipling. Now, we all exist in three spheres of life or three contexts of life. First is our home life, our family life. 
Then there's our church life. Um, that would be our fellowship with the congregation, local congregation of God's people, what you do here uh, with Lakeside Bible Church. And then the third one would be our community life. That's our interactions with friends, our interactions with colleagues in which we work with, neighbors, the wider community, in whatever ways you may be involved on that level, um, and just thinking through uh, all of you and what you do. All of you are involved in some way uh, with other people. Uh, Dylan and Ashley, particularly in, the, in your jobs, you're around a lot of people. Um, Terry, I think about the opportunities you have on the golf course. I mean, you talk to guys all the time. Uh, um, Andy's doing that often uh, as well in his job. And then with their neighbors, they've got just, they have a daycare in their backyard most days with all these kids coming through and they know, they know all these parents. Deborah, the same way. Deborah and John know more people in Cornelius than I think actually live in Cornelius. <laughs> and, um, and you just know tons of people. Like we're involved in the community, right? So we exist, we all exist in those three spheres. We have our life at home, our life at church, and we have our life in the general community. So what I wanna do is think about practically through the scriptures how we need to be discipling and how we can be discipling in each of those three spheres of life, all right? So the first one we're gonna talk about is the home life, okay? Discipleship always begins at home, always. And we talked about a lot this morning uh, in Mark chapter 10, but whether it's happening between spouses or whether it is the way that we're teaching our children or our grandchildren, Family life is the first place that God intends for people uh, to be encouraged in following Jesus. So think about this for just a moment. When we think back to the scriptures, we can go as early as Moses, essentially, at least in written scripture. Now, he tells us all about the beginnings. He tells us about those first 2,000 years or so, but he doesn't write it down until 2,000 years after creation or maybe more, right? So what happens with God's truth for those first two millennium? How are people learning about who God is? How are people learning what it means to follow him and to obey him? How are they knowing whether or not to reject him like most of them actually did? It came through the home. For, for, for 2,000 years before God ever blessed us with the written word, there was the oral tradition passed down from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel and Seth and so on. And then it continued on generation by generation. People talking about the Lord, rehearsing the things of the Lord, rehearsing the commandments of the Lord. Discipleship always begins at home. And so uh, let's look at a few scriptures here. Let's start Deuteronomy 6, if you want to turn there. I'm going to turn with you just so I know when is a good time for me to read, because I don't want to leave you behind, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6. You'll know this as, is it the Shema? Is that what they call it in Judaism? They say this every day, don't they? Some of you may be more familiar with it than, than I am. I'm, uh, I'm fairly certain that, that Jews will, will quote the Shema day by day. Uh, but here's where it is, chapter 6, verse 1, no, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's where it all begins, right? And we can go into all kinds of details about how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to think. But it all is summed up there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, verse six, that I command you today shall be on your heart 
and you shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's pretty straightforward. God tells his people early on, after delivering them from Egypt, and he says, here's the commands I give you. They need to be on your heart every day, and you need to teach them to your children every day. Not just in a classroom setting, but when you're sitting at dinner, talk about the Lord. When you're walking down the street on on an evening stroll, talk about the Lord. All of these times of life that we have, decorate your home with the scriptures. So Julie and I are trying to do so much better with this. We, we went to um, the Quo's house for dinner. This has been a little more, right out a year ago maybe at this point. And um, we were just listening <laughs> for a long time, but essentially is what we were doing that night. And we were acknowledging, if you've been in their house, if you visited them before, they have scripture everywhere all over their walls. Um, most of it's in Mandarin. <laughs> so I don't know what it is, but so I'm just taking their word for it. That, that's what it is, but that's what they told me it was. And, uh, and they told me that early on they had uh, read about uh, another pastor who had invited after uh, he, he lived in a flat in England, after inviting his parents to come and visit him, he asked his parents, what do you think about our home? And he said, well, it's a, it's a beautiful home, uh, but there's nothing distinctly Christian about it. And he said, what do you mean? He said, your home looks no different than anybody else's home in this neighborhood. And, um, and that man began to decorate his home with scripture. And so the quotes began to do that. And I thought, we were on our way home that night after dinner. I'm like, Julie, we, we got to figure out a way to decorate our home with the Bible. Because <laughs> uh, uh, our home doesn't look any different than anyone else's. So we're trying to do that. So go to Hobby Lobby or wherever you go. And you can find uh, scripture printed on these nice signs. And you can decorate your home. And we're starting to see that around our house. No, write them upon the doorpost of your house. Etch them on the gates of your courtyard as God goes through and he instructs. It's important. Discipling begins there. All right, let's skip ahead now to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Right? You kids with me still? This one's for you, okay? You listening? All right, here we go. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, all right? I want you to memorize it, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You already know it. I love it. Let's say it together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents how? In the In the Lord. Now, that's, that's significant, isn't it? It's significant in that passage. It's not just, he, Paul could have said, give me your eyes real quick, kiddos. Paul could have said, children obey your parents for this is right. But he didn't just say that. He added a specific statement here that's important for us to know. Children obey your parents in the, in the Lord. In other words, when you obey mom and dad, you're really obeying the Lord. And your motivation for obeying mom and dad is that you want to be obedient to the Lord. That's important for us, isn't it? 
You need to remember that. That means that when we disobey our parents, it's not just them that we disobey. Who else are we disobeying? We diso- we're disobeying God, right? And what does it mean to disobey God? We have a three-letter word for that. What's it called? Sin. We don't want to sin against God, right? And right here, Paul tells us very clearly, children, obey your parents because that means you're obeying the Lord. And if you disobey them, you're disobeying the Lord. But he doesn't let the parents off the hook in this passage. Listen to verse two. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And then it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your parents ever made you mad? Ever made you mad, Ashlyn? Have I ever provoked you to anger, Harper? Maybe from time to time that happens, right? We disobey sometimes too. But what's Paul telling us here? Discipling begins in the home. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, train them, nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them the truths of God's word. Spend time praying with them. Discipling starts there. Now let's look at an example of it. If you'll go with me to 2 Timothy, just a few pages over from where you are now. 2 Timothy, we'll start in chapter one. This is Paul's final letter. This is just before his death. These are the things that were on his mind at that point. 2 Timothy chapter one, verse five. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Here we have a wonderful example of this, don't we? Here Paul is writing to his apprentice in the faith, his son in the faith, and he says, listen, I know what you believe, and I know you believe it because first, mom and grandma believed it. That's important. Timothy was a believer because his mom and his grandma taught him the scripture. They discipled him in the home, and we know that for sure because if you turn over just one page at chapter three, Paul says it again, chapter three and verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, Paul's a part of that, but he's not talking specifically about himself in this case, I don't think, because look at verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, how did he learn about those things from childhood? Through his mother and his grandmother. They were faithful to disciple him in the home and it made all the difference for him. So when we're thinking about discipling, it starts there. It starts in the home. It starts with what we're doing with our spouses. It starts with what we're doing with our children, our grandchildren, and so on and so forth. Okay, let's talk about church life for a minute. After the home, the next place that the Bible instructs for us to faithfully disciple others is in the context of the local church. And we talk about this a lot. The the New Testament doesn't know an isolated form of Christian experience. And too many people are trying to live faithful, vibrant Christian lives apart from the local church. But it's not possible to do that. God created us with a need, not only for him, but for one another. The church is not man's idea. The church is God's idea. God does this work. He brings us together and he uses us in one another's lives but how exactly 
should discipling happen in the church with one another? How do, does this group of people do this on a regular basis? Let's look at a few references. Flip over to Colossians, just a few pages from where you are. And if you get tired of flipping, I'll quote the verses and I can send them to you in an email for your own personal reference if you want. But Colossians chapter three, verse 16. I love this verse so much, partly because I love music so much. And this is my way of sticking it to all the people that don't like music. Okay, here we go. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And how does he say we're to teach and admonish one another? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love this verse so much. I love it because it tells us so much about what we're to do in, in studying the scriptures and knowing Christ and knowing the Bible, but then it talks about our responsibility to one another. And, it, and it's the involvement in the, in the corporate worship of the church. Congregational singing is so important. It's so important. And it's not about being a good singer. I don't care if you can sing. Most of us can't. That's okay. You don't have to be a good singer to, to, uh, to sing for the Lord and to teach and admonish one another. Now, if you're particularly bad at it, you don't have to sing loud, you know, <laughs> but, you know, we don't want it to be a distraction either, but, but this is important. And th this is why I love, this is, <laughs> now, one of these days, maybe I, I did a series a few years ago was at Laurel. It was a, it was a four a four sermon series specifically on congregational singing in the scriptures. Um, maybe we'll do that one of these days here because I do think it's so important. The way we sing matters. And I think Paul is stressing that in a way here. This was a part of, this is, God's people have always been a singing people. And one of the reasons why is because we teach one another biblical truth in the process of that. And look around the room next Sunday. When you come to church, as you're singing out to the Lord, we sing mostly the same songs over and over. You know them fairly well at this point. Get to a verse that you know very well, and then look around as you sing. And lock eyes with someone else in the service that you're singing with. See the passion which, with, which, with which they sing. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, love, and purity. Most, most of you probably don't remember very many things that I've said in a sermon. Uh, fortunately, you probably don't remember much of what I've said in sermons from time to time. But think about the songs that, that we carry with us through life. It's why, like, I love, I love modern songs too. Sometimes I've, I worry that people think that maybe I'm a, a, a bit of a prude when it comes to music and, and what we do in our church. It's just there, there are some songs that we don't need to stop singing. They're so rich. There's a wealth of doctrine. And think about the song we sang this morning, Holy, Holy, Holy. That's one we'll carry with us through life. That's one, the content of which we're gonna sing in heaven. It's just amazing to think about those things. They comfort us. We remember them. Um, I think you talked about this maybe with your dad. He remembers some songs or some psalms maybe or something like that. I've, I've heard some people talk about that before. But it's important. It impacts one another when we're singing, not because we're good at it, but because of the content with which we sing and then the passion with which we sing it. It's amazing. And Paul nails it here in Colossians 3. This is a way we disciple one another as we do uh, that thing. All right, Romans 15. We've been in Romans a lot. Maybe you'll remember this. Paul says in verse 14 of Romans 15, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, Paul's not writing to the elders. Not in that case. I think he's writing to the church. I'm convinced that you have all the resources that you need to understand the gospel and to dig deeper into those things in order that you might instruct one another so that we have that command for each other, don't we? Instruct one another in the truths of of God's word. Let's go to Hebrews. There's a couple important ones here. Hebrews chapter three is where we'll start. Hebrews chapter three, and then we're gonna go to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter three, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of, of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another, verse 13, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're commanded to exhort one another. And then let's look at just a few chapters later in Hebrews chapter 10. You know this passage well. Hebrews 10, verse 23. He's really restating that same thing here in chapter 10. But he talks specifically about the gathering. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He said, we see it covered all over again. Both of those passages in Hebrews come right around these severe warnings of apostasy. And what is the writer of Hebrews getting at? One of the ways that we save each other from apostasy, from turning away from the faith, is our mutual discipling of one another. It's amazing being together, talking with one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. That's the whole church, okay? So we're talking about church life. That's the the context of the whole church together. All right, so that's that's what we're talking about with the whole church. Let's talk about leadership for a second. And you can write these references because I'm gonna run out of time. (laughs) I don't wanna run out of time before I finish, okay? Uh, So I'm gonna read the passages flip to them if you want but write down the references you can you can trace them later okay so thinking about leadership second timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 second timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 paul says you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also we talked about this in ephesians 4 last week What's the role of leadership when it comes to this? What's the role of of elders in the church when it comes to pastor teachers? Well, Paul says to Timothy, all the things I've taught you, teach to faithful men that will teach others also. What's he talking about? Being a discipling church. And it starts with leadership. Then just a couple of chapters later in chapter four, 2 Timothy 4, verses one and two, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What's the role of leadership and elders? You teach, preach the word. That's what they do. First Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What's the role of leadership? Shepherd the flock. What goes into shepherding? Feeding, nurturing, correcting, protecting, all of those things. That's the role of of the elders in the church. We could go to Acts 20. I'm not going to read it to you now, but you'll remember that. Paul, in his final statement to the elders of Ephesus, what does he say? Watch out for wolves because it won't take long after I leave and there will be wolves that come in in sheep's clothing. They're going to devour the flock. What's the role of leadership? To help protect against those things. But not because leaders are the only ones who can teach and protect, but because they're to be examples in doing that so that they can teach the congregation how to do that for one another. That's the point of leadership, right? We saw that again in Ephesians chapter 4. All right, well, let's talk about life stage discipling then. We've seen the whole church together. We've seen leadership specifically and their responsibility. Life stage discipling, because I couldn't come up with a better name for it. And here I want to look at specifically Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he gets really specific. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. What is Paul getting at there? Life stage discipleship. We talk about this a lot. I love so much that we for a small congregation, have a bit of a diverse congregation. You know, I'm grateful for that. We have, um, we have Taiwanese folks in our church. We have Russians in our church. I, I love all of those things. I think what I love even more about that than that is that we're a multi-generational church. So then in a Church of Central series on a Sunday night, we're talking about discipling. On the front row is a bunch of kids, the oldest of which is 11. Are you 11, Chelsea? 10 almost 11 I mean 10 years old and then and then it just goes up from there right we, I love that so much when we, when we were first starting the church it was one of the conversations <laughs> I was gonna say and then we got Andy over here the old guy you know but uh, one of the things Andy and I talked about so much when we were starting the church is we were so happy that Marty and Faye were willing to be a part of our lunch team uh, because that meant that our kids were going to have a generation ahead of us pouring their lives into our children. And then we start to think, and they're like, well, I'm actually, I'm actually really glad that Marty and Faye are there to pour their lives into me <laughs> because I need that. We need that. And it's not only that we need it, but the scripture commands it. We need that interaction with one another. That's why, like, and I understand there's lots of different ways you can do groups and things like that. I get that, understand, and it can be helpful. 
But I think we need to focus whenever the programs do come. Let's not divide up so that all the, the seniors in the church are in this group and all the singles in the church are in this group and all the uh, young families with kids are in this group. Let's not do that. Let's mix it up because I, I need Terry. I need Terry, you know. Terry needs me, not because of me, but because the scripture tells me so, right? We need one another. We need, we need the phase teaching our ladies. We need that. We need Mrs. Quo and Mr. Quo. We need our kids teaching us some things from time to time. Nothing will get you thinking more than when the kids come up after a service and sometimes they have a question that's not real easy to answer, you know? That's good. We need that, and it's important. So how does this discipling work within our church life? Well, there's the whole church, there's leadership, and then there's multi-generational dynamics to that as well. Quickly, community life, and then, uh, then we're going to wrap it up with this second point. Community life is really in terms of evangelization, discipling those whom we interact with day by day. Colossians 4 Verses five and six, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Man, is that so hard? I don't mind talking to people. Talking to people in a way that's gracious and seasoned with salt isn't always as easy as just talking to them. Um, but but that's, that needs to be our approach. We, we go to 1 Peter 3 as well always being prepared uh, with a defense for anyone who asks us a reason of the hope. It's important. We have a community life. All of that's discipling, okay? So we're talking spheres of life. Let's move on from there. What are we really talking about when we get to the bottom line? What is this all about? What are you getting at, Jaron? Here's what I'm getting at. When it comes to discipling, what we really mean is engaging in a Bible reading movement. That's what we're talking about. It's as simple as that. And so we go back to what I said at the very beginning. Sometimes we can be intimidated by this. Like, I don't know what to say to somebody. Like, I don't know all the time how to, how to help somebody. What I can do, though, is I can read my Bible. We can talk about what the Lord's doing in our lives. We can read it together. We can pray together. That's really what this is all about. Whether it's within our homes, in the way that we're reading the scriptures with our children, where we're having devotions with our spouses, we're praying together in our church, not only what we do in the gathering, but getting together with Dylan from time to time and saying, all right, hey, let's, let's read through, um, let's read through uh, John's epistles together over the next six months. We get together once a month and we're gonna talk about what the Lord's doing in our hearts. We're gonna pray together and all those kinds. It's a Bible reading movement. That's what we're talking about when we get into working a culture of discipling into the very... DNA of what is um, Lakeside Bible Church. Okay, that's what we're really getting at. I want to show you a couple of things or and read you a couple of things that I'm pulling. It's not from me. I'm pulling it directly from that book I told you about, The Trellis and the Vine, okay? And, and so think about these. These are hypothetical situations that they put in this book. Practical ways that this discipling works itself out, okay? Jeff is asked by his workmate, Peter, some of the words are weird because they're Australian. Sorry about that. Um, Jeff is asked by his workmate, Peter, what he did on the weekend. And he replies that he heard an excellent sermon in church that helped him understand for the first time what was really wrong with the world. And when Peter asked him to elaborate, 
Jeff explains why sin and God's judgment, explains why sin and God's judgment explain the problems in our world. Jeff continues to pray for Peter that these sorts of opportunities would continue. As simple as that. Now, how often do people ask us about our weekend? All the time, all the time. That's how we lead in our conversations. How you doing? What you been up to? When, tomorrow, the first coworker that says that to you say, you know, I went to church yesterday and let me tell you about this sermon that I heard about marriage and divorce. <laughs> <laughs> maybe talk about last Sunday. Maybe that would be the better, better place to start. And it's just a, an, an open opportunity for us to be discipled. Sarah's teenage son is having real problems at high school. And as they talk about it at night, she reassures him that God is stronger, more faithful than any friend and prays with him. It's just talking with your kids, but talking with them through the lens of the Bible. Bill is chatting to George after church and shares with them how encouraged he was by a particular verse in the Bible that day. Simple as that. Michael meets one-to-one every two weeks. It says fortnight, but I had to look that up. That means every two weeks. I think that means every two weeks. Over breakfast with his friend Steve, who is a new Christian, They use the just for starters set of Bible studies to work through some of the basic issues of living the Christian life. Maybe you got somebody in your life that they've not come to faith yet, but they're eager to learn more, or maybe they've just become a Christian. You can get Gospel of John's that are meant for one-to-one, and it has questions in it. You can read a chapter together at a time, answer the questions, and come back and talk about them. It's a wonderful way to be discipling people. Allison is worried about her friend Debbie, who struggles with anxiety and has been missing church quite a lot. So Allison writes her a one-page letter, offering encouragement, quoting a few Bible verses, and offering to get together to pray. I love that. I love it a lot. Warren goes to a Bible study group each week at Jim's house with six other people. He makes sure that he has read and thought about the passages before he goes, prays that God would help him say true and encouraging things in the group. Irene is quite elderly and finds it hard to get out, but she phones her friend Jean every second day, talks to her about the Bible passage she read that morning, and prays with her over the phone. Claire's been praying for her friend Shirley for months, finally invites her to an evangelistic evening that her church is running. On the way home in the car, Claire talks to Shirley about the message and does her best to answer Shirley's questions. Trevor rearranges his work schedule so that he can take Wednesday morning off to teach scripture classes in his local primary school. He and his wife end up doing this for many years and have an enormous impact on the lives of kids and teachers at their local school. At Phil's church, they take a few minutes during the Sunday meeting for a congregation member to give a testimony or bring an encouraging word to the congregation. This Sunday, it's Phil's turn, and he tells how the teaching of Ephesians 5 has turned his marriage around. Here's the point of all those things. Discipling doesn't have to be a program. Discipling is just a part of our lives. It's when we take the word of God and it's on our lips day by day. With our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, our coworkers, other church members, it's just there. That's what we want to be doing. Thinking intentionally about helping others follow Jesus in this way. There's a chart that I want to, I don't know if it would be easy to read. It's kind of small. This is from that book as well. And I would encourage you to get the book if you're interested. I think you would be helped by it. But this is just some examples of ways that you can do this in each of these three spheres of life. So think about home life, one-to-one. Read your Bible and pray with your kids. I had a a pastor friend when Ashlyn was pregnant or Julie was pregnant with Ashlyn. I had a pastor friend say the best thing I ever did 
was I determined to pray with my kids every night. And he did it one-on-one with them. Um, he would go before they went to bed, they'd get in the bed and then he'd go and pray with them. We try to do that. We're not always faithful to it, but we try to do that. Re- read your Bible to, to your kids. Re- read a, um, a book about the Bible to the kids. Harper loves that, um, what's it called, Harper? That book we've been reading. The Biggest Story? The Biggest Story. She loves that. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. How the, how the snake crusher does something, brings us back to the garden or something like that. It's fantastic. Read your Bible with your kids. Um, Bible reading and prayer with your spouse. Julie and I never do this. And I, every time I get, get to this, I feel so bad about it because we need to be reading our Bible together. We talk about our readings. We don't read a lot together. We need to do that and pray together more often. Bring, a, bring the Bible to bear in daily conversation. I've talked about my dad a lot. This is what my dad did. We didn't have organized, structured family devotions. Dad just talked about the Lord constantly. He applied the Bible to all kinds of situations. Have family devotions in large groups. Insert Christian content at family gatherings, at Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays. In church life, one-to-one, Bible study with new Christians, Bible reading and prayer uh, with someone else. Pick a partner, agree to meet uh, every week or every other week for the next uh, three months or so for an hour at a coffee shop and just enjoy time together following up with newcomers that come to the church. When a new couple comes to the church, especially for the second time, that means that they weren't run off the first time. Uh, That's usually a good sign. Be the first person to go to that couple and say, hey, do you have lunch plans today? I'd love to take you to lunch. Get to know them. Disciple them. Disciple them in that way. Small groups, meet with small groups for prayer, teach a church class, life stage and gender-based groups, Large groups, give testimony in the church. We'd love to do that. Preach a sermon if any of you like to do that. Lead in singing. Read the scripture passages during the service. I I would really love to incorporate more people doing that on Sundays. Community life, invite people to church services. Share your testimony, friendship evangelism. Uh, Have neighbors over to your house specifically for opportunities to talk about the Lord. Uh, small group-based evangelism, large groups, giving an evangelistic talk or, or testimony or something like that. Lots of ways, lots of ways you can do that. Those are just ideas. And then let's, let's finish here with the three C's. We talked about this in the last lesson, the three C's. What is it that we're actually trying to accomplish in these meetings we have with one another? Well, we're trying to help each other grow in three ways. First, in conviction. That is just our knowledge of God and understanding of the Bible. And you don't have to know more than the other person to do that. Just read the Bible together. Study the Bible together. Pray together. The Lord will use you in fantastic ways. Conviction. Character. We're going to help each other live godly lives. That means sometimes the conversation may get a little awkward. (laughs) Right? It just happens that way. We do that in love. We do it graciously. But sometimes it means, hey, I'm a little concerned this is going on in your life. Or I noticed this is, this is something that, that you've been doing. Have you thought about this? Have you considered this scripture? I just don't, I want you to be right with the Lord. What do you think? Talk about those things. And then be willing to have someone talk to you about the things that they notice in your life. And of course, that, there's lots that can go into that. But we're helping people grow in godly character as well. And then third is competency. You always want to have this in mind. I want to disciple Ashlyn and Harper so that they can disciple others, Right? I want to disciple Andy so Andy can disciple others. I want to disciple Julie so Julie can disciple others. We're we're working on competency, teaching them how to teach others in whatever way we can, always having that at the forefront of our mind. And my time is gone, so let me finish with this. You say, this is a lot. This is a lot to think about. It seems hard, and it seems like a big commitment. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's the commitment of your life is, is really what it is. 
It's reshaping everything. It's reshaping my whole life to be focused on helping other people follow Christ. And what could be more worthy of our time and effort than that? But then we also know that we can do this and do this and do this and sometimes have very little fruitfulness in our lives. Look, we have all been there, whether it's with our kids or a spouse or friends or whatever it is. You try and you try and you try. And so I just want to encourage you with 1 Corinthians 15, 58 as we close. What does Paul say? After teaching the Corinthians something very similar to this, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Don't quit. Stay faithful. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's never in vain. You may not always see what God is doing, but God is always doing something. And it may be a lot of discouragement that comes in some of your relationships. And you may be begging God to just show some sign of fruitfulness. But I think what Paul is giving us there is a promise that we can trust God. And we can trust as we're obedient to do these things, he will be faithful to provide fruit. Even if we don't see that fruit, he'll be faithful to it. He'll be faithful to it. So trust him and be encouraged in that. And be steadfast. Be immovable. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your grandkids. Keep praying for your neighbors and your coworkers and so on.